Welcome to My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 407. This program is dedicated in merit of Baruch Binyamin ben Menuchelena and Miriam Baschayis Sara Altes, Yukasil ben Leir Rachel and Rachel Basliba Farkash, dedicated by Pinchas Tudras ben Miriam and Sara Bas Rachel Altes. So we're at the conclusion and the last days of the month of Sivan. This week, are two special days that will be taking place. The 28th of Sivan will be 81 years from when the Rebbe arrived to America on the 28th of Sivan, Tavshin Aleph, 1941. And Shabbos, next Shabbos, will be Gimel Tammuz, the third of Tammuz, which of course is 28 years from that fateful and sad day. So we're going to begin by speaking about that. To be very honest, I receive very, very blunt and candid letters about Kimmel Tamas, people describing their challenges, their difficulties, and many even voicing disappointment, and some even disappointment in the Rebbe. So though it's hard and painful for me to read, but people are meant to be able to express themselves. And as I've always promised at this program, and it's critical that people have that ability to be honest and be able to submit any question. So there are questions that may offend some, but they are honest questions. I don't think they're coming from a malicious place. So I'm going to address that as well. And among other different issues that uh, people struggle with, this platform, which we're now in the ninth year of My Life Chassidah Supplied, has become very known, and uh, thank God I'm humbled by the thousands and thousands, I would say tens of thousands of questions that have come in over the, time, over the years, um, maybe even hundreds of thousands for all I remember, for all I know. And uh, above all, like I said, it's important that you have, to, you have a platform, you have a place, you can express yourself. You have to be open and be ready to hear an answer, but some questions can be, can be very sensitive and very controversial. And I need to say that, especially around Gimbal Thomas, that's already 28 years. So the first thing we'll begin with is Chavches uh, Sivan. We will talk about Chavches Sivan, Gimbal Thomas, and talk about Kairach, which is Pasha's Kairach this week as well. So let's begin... Why was the Rebbe's coming to America a watershed event? It's considered a significant event. So, of course, on a very basic level, it's, his life was saved. The Rebbe and the Rebbetson, on that day when they arrived at the shores of America, were escaping literally the last ship leaving Portugal from war-ravaged and Nazi-controlled Europe. So, simply, saving lives. Same thing with the Friedrich Rebbe when he came a year and a half earlier, on Tess Oder Sheni, the ninth of the second Oder, 1940. But being that we're talking here about leaders, the Friedrich Rebbe and then the Rebbe, so it's more than just their personal salvation, the personal rescue of the, Rebbe, of the Rabbeim, but it also signifies, as the Rebbe said so many times, it was the, a new stage of spreading Torah and Chassidus and Yiddishkeit began with the Rabbeim coming to Chotzi Kadra Tachten. That was the expression used, the lower hemisphere. So let's talk a moment about that. And that's far more than just an individual liberation, an individual rescue, and even one of danger. Chotzi Kadra Tachten. We know the earth is round, and therefore there are hemispheres. There's a lower hemisphere and an upper hemisphere. In this context, the upper hemisphere is where Israel is, where Matan Torah happened. Eretz Yisrael and the surrounding areas. So the Alter Rebbe explains and says, 
that Matan Teda happened in the Chotzi Kadar Elyon, not in Chotzi Kadar Atachtan. The Rebbe, in a letter which is printed in Sefer Mamorim Tavshin Ches, writes to the Friedrich Rebbe and asks him, What does that mean? Matan Teda was given for the entire universe, entire earth. What does it mean it was only, it only happened in the upper hemisphere, not in the lower? And the Friedrich Rebbe explains that, of course, the Teda was given for the entire world, but in a revealed way, it was revealed in the upper hemisphere, which is where the Jewish people lived for so many years until the first immigrations to the new world, as it was called, the new, the lower hemisphere. Because it does, result, it does symbolize a higher level of revelation. So just as Odom and Chava began in Garden of Eden, which is in modern-day uh, southeastern Iraq, and then Avram Avinu migrated from... from, uh, from uh, um, Dana, uh, uh, migrated from that area as well not well after all the machava were expelled from Ganadin and they started to spread in that area Mesopotamia and Avram Avinu from Urkazdim traveled all the way to ultimately to Eretz Yisrael so the Jews as they became a people and then they were of course in the generations after Avram Avinu and they were enslaved in Mitzrayim all in the Chatzikadar Elia so from a point of view of divine revelation, there was more Gilead Lekus, so to speak, in that part of the world. And when we say that Manteda didn't happen in the lower hemisphere, we mean in a revealed way. So in a sense, it's a darker world, and one, as we've seen, the challenges of the new world brought with it prosperity and materialism, but also a lower level of spirituality. So the Rabbeim's coming to this lower hemisphere was now to bring Yiddishkeit and Teireh and reveal it even in a place like this, not just temporarily on a visit to the America. Friedrich Rebbe visited America in 1930. But in a permanent way, they established the center headquarters, which began in 1940, and with the Rebbe's coming, Chavches Sivan, 81 years ago this week, it established the Rebbe, as the Rebbe writes, a new Tenufa Chadosha, a new stage, a new era in spreading chassidus with, with the formation of the organizations that the Friedrich Rebbe established with appointing the Rebbe at the head. So it signifies exactly a watershed event, a real shift, the shift that we now have the power to transform every corner of the world. The Rebbe often referred to South Africa and Australia as Tachn Shebetach, because besides being the, the lower hemisphere, it's also the, the other hemisphere in the context of being in the southern, southern hemisphere. But the bottom line, the point is that now we have the opportunity, as the Rebbe explains in a number of sikhs, namely by Yeshev, Tovshin, and Beis, we are, the Jewish people are everywhere, and we have the opportunity to, and we have the opportunity to elevate the sparks from every corner of this earth. So this week, essentially, the lesson, you would say, the Chassidus applied lesson would be that we have the power and we have the opportunity that there's no corner of earth that is not a keli, a container to to mola oris deus Hashem kamayim leyamechasim to filling the world with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. Mola oris deus Hashem kamayim lechamim. Oris refers to the entire earth, including the lower hemisphere. So the lesson is very clear to us: the job that we have, that that every part of existence, every part of society every component, every sector of society can, be, can and should be permeated with the light of godliness and Torah and mitzvahs. So there was a time when they were in Chatzik Hadar then the goal was to achieve there and the light would spread 
like a big torch whose light spreads and it draws the sparks from everywhere. Now we actually are in the bottom. As Chassidah says, you build up, you raise a building from the bottom. From the lower hemisphere. So with that, let's move from that, from Chav Chesiv, and let's move to Gimel Tammuz. So this coming Shabbos will be 28 years from Tov Shin Nun Dalad, 1994, that, that day, that Metzoi Shabbos, which was Metzoi Shabbos Kedach, and the beginning of Pastor Chukas. Those of us remember, remember what kind of day it was. Until this day, till this day, Gimel Tammuz remains this very mysterious, like what was the point of it all? And what are we supposed to learn from it? So I want to read a few questions. This is just a selection of literally so many questions I could not, would spend hours just to read them here. But this is a good reflection of a cross-section of what is on different people's minds. And then we'll address it. Is Gimel Thomas still relevant to us? Which of course means that since so many years have passed, after a while you get used to something. Sadly. The Rebbe writes in a famous letter, Rishchei Shvat, Tovshin Yud Aleph, almost a year from when the Histalkus of the Friedrich Rebbe and Yud Shvat, that the summer has passed and the winter has passed, and it's a hergel, and the routine, the Esazman, the routine, and time has done its thing. There's something that happens in the routine, which on one hand allows you to survive, on the other hand it's very sad because you lose the impact. Time passes, you know, we can manage. So this question is based on that. We're managing, people are living. Yes, it's very sad what happened 28 years ago. And every year when we talk about it, it evokes that the Rebbe physically is no longer here. Physically. And we would love to be able to be part of the whole excitement and the energy that the Rebbe generated in a physical way. Every Shabbos and every day and every morning and every evening. The whole life that the Rebbe, the, the Mokar Achaim, Chaim, Achaim, which inspired thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. So it's sad when the sun has stopped, which is also what happened in Gimel Tammuz in the time of Yeshua. It was on the third of Tammuz that the sun stopped so they can finish battling the war. So the sun stopped. Pnei Moshe, Pnei Chama. Moshe is compared to the sun. And the Moshe in every generation is compared to the sun, to the sunlight. And the sun stopped, at least in a revealed way. So is it still significant? And what are we supposed to learn from it? Is it just a matter of grieving and crying of what we missed? In Yiddishkeit, that's never the approach, especially the Rebbe never, never encouraged just negative feelings. Yes, you have to remember there's a void, but it has to motivate us. And that's the key lesson that has to be from Gimel Tammuz. How does it motivate us? How accountable are we? Remember the Rebbe 11 months before the stroke on Chav Zainodah 30 years ago said to us, I've done everything I can, now do everything you can. And he empowered us. So we have a job to do. And that's the focus. Sadly, but the Rebbe's words were fulfilled. He had a stroke and did not speak after that. And then came Gimel Tamas. And all of that is an experience that can be seen as a negative, and it is a concealment, but Exodus explains, the reason there's a concealment in order to create a greater revelation. 
So when a person feels that type of distress, it's supposed to mean we cry out from distress, from something lacking. When the seed is empty, it reminds us that something's empty and we have to do something to fill it. So the question that we have to look at is ourselves. What are we supposed to be doing? As we'll see in a few questions, some people look at the Rebbe. But the Rebbe said, look at yourself. I'm empowering you. An adult doesn't point fingers. Even at the leader. At the end of the day, we are responsible for our behavior. So if anything Gimel Thomas represents is the idea of what are you doing in your shlichus in this world, and namely, it, it, to bring the Gula, to bring Mashiach, in the powers, in the, in the ways we can, which in turn will lead to a reunion with the Rebbe and reunion of Gashmis and Ruchnis, and a joining of matter and spirit in a permanent way. That part we can't do resurrection, but we can do everything else, which is to bring this to every corner of the world, like we said, every corner, even the lowest parts of the world, every nook and cranny, so to speak. That is the lesson that we're supposed to learn from Gimel Thomas. So is it relevant? Of course it's relevant. A Rebbe is sent to this world to be a shliach of Hashem, God's messenger, to do what? To bring godliness into this world and tell us the mission that we're supposed to do. As the Rebbe said, 71 years ago, in the Maim Abbasal he said, this is the seventh generation. Seventh generation from the Alter Rebbe. And just like Moshe Rabbeinu was the seventh generation from Avram Avinu, who brought down Veshechanti Besecham, built a temple, a sanctuary for the divine to rest and feel comfortable in this world, we need to do so as a seventh generation now in a permanent way with the Gula Mitiz Bashlema. So the job and mission is clear. And how to do it? Mashiach told the Baal Shem Tov how. When will, I, when will you come, Baal Shem Tov asked Mashiach? When will the master come? And he said, When your wellsprings, the wellsprings of Chassidus, We'll reach chutzah. What's chutzah? The outskirts. Including including every part of this world. That's our job. That's our mission. That mission can break into many ways. It can be through shlichas, through chabad houses. It can be shlichas through writing, through publishing books, through teaching, through classes, through the mifzayim and all the, the programs and instruments and tools we were taught and told and given to us by the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said, I did everything. That means he, the Rebbe is a serious and honest man. That means he gave us all the resources we need. But there's something we must do. That's what Gimel Thomas teaches us. And in a way that a concealment of the Rebbe, meaning that we don't see the Rebbe but in a revealed way, holding our hand and leading us, even though behind the scenes definitely the Rebbe is there, tells us, emphasizes how much we have to do. You know, when the light is bright, you don't see all the cracks. But when the light gets dimmed, when the sun stops, that's when you start seeing, who are you? What do you stand for? It was easy to ride on the Rebbe's coattails, on the Rebbe's wings. The question is, when that is not in a revealed way, when there's that symptom of Gimel Tamos, that concealment, what are you going to do? So it's a day of accountability. It's a day of asking, what am I going to do? And if I was standing in front of the Rebbe, can you honestly give a dim v'cheshbun, an accounting? And here's exactly what I've done, and here's what I plan to do. And to make it say the answer, I don't know what else I can do, it's not correct. There are 8 billion people on this planet, 14 and a half Jews on, the, on this planet, Ken Yerbu, and not everybody knows Torah and including even within ourselves, in our own community. So there's plenty to do. 
And if you need specific suggestions, please write to me and be happy to make more suggestions. Specific ones. That you can use your talents, your skills. So there's only one place to look. At yourself. Which leads me to some of the questions now that some people write. And some of them are, again, turned to the Rebbe for their answers. Which is very good to ask the Rebbe for answers. But at the end of the day, you have to also rise to the occasion and step up to the plate. So let's read a few of the other questions that came in. 28 years have passed since Gimel Tammuz. How much longer do we have to wait? I can't answer that question. It's already too long. And, and like the Rebbe said a number of times, Mashiach should have come here, come already. And, and when he would ask, and why didn't he come? We have a question. So if the Rebbe has a question, I also have a question. That's not the question we should be asking. The question is, what are you doing about it? What are you doing that it shouldn't take more, more time? And a few shorter other questions, then I'll read them in more long t- form, as I often do, just to get the flavor and the taste of the voice of you, the voice of the listeners, the voice of the questioners. What can I do about my feelings of disappointment in the Rebbe? Why can't we unite and directly address our post-Gimel Tammuz challenges? Okay. And there are more questions which I'll read as we go along. So let me begin with this. Why has nobody in the community stepped up to take over leadership of Chabad after Gimel Tammuz? While it's understandable that potential candidates may not be qualified as the Rebbe was to lead, as, as the Rebbe was to lead us, but the same could have been said after the Alter Rebbe passed away, etc. Well, a Rebbe is not chosen by elections. A Rebbe is chosen by God. If Hashem wanted to send us a Rebbe, He would have sent us and we would have known who that Rebbe is. So it's clear that the Rebbe remains the Rebbe, though we would want to have something physical that we can relate to, but that's part of the questions that we have. So someone stepping up is not exactly the approach. The stepping up has to be that each of us has to do our shlichas. That's what we need to step up to do. We're not necessarily appoint ourselves to be a leader over everybody, over others. Be a leader over yourself, over your own Yetzir Hari, your own Nefesh Abamis, your Golas Primi, your animal soul. And lead the way. Show an example of how what it means to spread chassidus. Show an example of what it means to fulfill the Rebbe's Shlichus, the Rebbe's mission, which is the, God's mission of the Deir Ashvi. That's how leadership manifests today. And the rest is up to God. When, when, how and when he will send Mashiach, will send a leader, that's up to the Ebeshter. Next. You do an amazing service with your amazing program. I wrote this for mass consumption, but I'm sending it to you exclusively to address in your weekly program. Shall you be so kind? Forgive the length. I'll try to keep it short. I state the following paragraph for context about myself. I would sign my name to this. However, for obvious reasons, I wish to protect me, my, and my family's reputation. I write this letter as a Lubavitcher. I would assume that I'm the average Lubavitcher. In Frumkite and in adhering to Lubavitch institutions such as Chitas and Rambam, albeit with plenty of room for improvement. I ask in, in advance for Mechila, forgiveness, from all those that will take offense, as I know that my proposition is sacrilegious, and I'm sure for good reason. Chav Zayinodr had completely blindsided Lubavitch. That's the day when the Rebbe had the stroke. I indeed was a child at the time. However, we didn't know what to make of the stunning Golas that we were in. So from speaking about the Rebbe Zolgazun Zayin, or the Rebbe Shlita, many Lubavitches undertook slogans to exalt the Rebbe further. 
we were caught between a rock and a hard place and grasping at straws. All very understandable for a group of chassidim in tremendous pain. And then the earthquake of all earthquakes hit in Nundalad. It's 1994 when Gimel Tamas happened. As sad as it was to see a divided and lost Kahila community of chassidim, it was even understandable how many in Lubavitch were caught in such tremendous grief that the easier path seemed to be that of denial. Even the camp in Lubavitch that didn't subscribe to slogans lived a form of denial. I was inundated with platitudes such as the Bochum were never as inspiring, Anash was never as big, the Chabad houses never, were never as successful, there were never as many Chabad houses, the Rebbe was never as accessible, being that now that the oil is always open and now the Rebbe isn't limited by his man and mokim, space, time and space, etc., etc. Beautiful fluffy words to paper over our enormous grief. We were sure that Hashem, that Hashem wouldn't inflict this grief upon us for long, he would have Rachmanus upon us and deliver us, our Rebbe, back with the coming of Mashiach in a hasty fashion. So it was unfathomable to ponder taking any steps in dealing with our situation. The Rebbe was the greatest since Moshe Rabbeinu is what we all felt, most of us at least, and we still feel this way. And it would be absolutely ridiculous to seek Siddim out that can remotely fill the Rebbe's shoes. But now we are 20 years past this most tragic day and we are bereft. The tragedy that we go to a cemetery to speak with our Rebbe is painful beyond words. There are quite many chassidim that I admire tremendously that can self-motivate to truly live with the Rebbe by creating an atmosphere where the Rebbe leapt. They can watch Rabbeinu's in, 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 in entirety, regularly consume the Rebbe's tatus consistently and diligently and absent, and absent the gratification of seeing the Rebbe's holy face. They truly have recreated the chafs, lamids, mems, those are the decades, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, early nuns, early 90s, etc., and live with the Rebbe, like the story of Mendel of Biteps, creating Mashiach in his own Dal Amis, in his own cubits, in his own environment. But then, there are so many tens of thousands of us that are left behind. We lack the motivation in an age of immensely accessible technology, magnified by many of our addictions to it, to give the Rebbe the focus that we owe to our Hasidic spiritual development. We have almost no accountability as the goal is grants us a level of immunity from looking in the Rebbe's eyes and seeing his gaze penetrate the recesses of our nefesh. The goal is too dark and is swallowing us. We lack the lachluchis, that's like the moisture, the, the, the subtleties, to model for our kids what a chosid ought to be, completely lost in how we set out accomplishing being tefeach amenas latviach, which means to influence in order to, to further grow that influence. Now please don't shoot me as I delve into the straight talk. Can't Labavitch gather somehow and speak through the tragedy which we're in and find constructive ways forward to deal with his gullus? There will never be another man like the Rebbe, period. We all know it. But must the situation be perfect to foster a catalyst for development and growth? The only parallel I can find that would do justice to us, Chassidim, is the Churban, the destruction of the Temple. Our Migdash, our temple was destroyed, but Chazal knew that we would need to pick up the broken pieces and make a Migdash Ma'at. Make Migdash Ma'ats, small sanctuaries. Sure, my shul is a joke compared to the sanctity of the temple of the Beis HaMikdash, but our, but our pretend Aveda, so to speak, has kept Kalyasol going for millennia and will ultimately lead us to herald in the Geulah Shlema. I posit that we need centralized accountability 
as chassidim and centralize inspiration to develop as greater chassidim of our Rebbe. If we have a chassid of unique wisdom that can relate to this generation, can't we unify in making him a mashpia, Roshi of Lubavitch, that we can rally around? We can remain Deir Ashvi, seventh generation, and the Rebbe remain our Rebbe, yet still not throw out the baby with the bathwater. Our lack of a united front in developing as chassidim together is tearing us apart. I fear that I'm not the only one that feels that Labavish today is composed of hundreds of thousands of chassidim, each doing their best, but each doing their own thing. The pain of this gullus is insurmountable. What can I say? Okay, well, I read it in its entirety. I know that it reflects different people's feelings and, mean, and, uh, and sentiments. I will say the following what I said earlier. With all that was said here, and many of the points that I would agree with, not all, but some of the points at least, especially the pain that you're describing. At the end of the day, we were trained not to live in pain. That cannot be the dominating factor. The Rebbe went through a lot of pain in his life. He never saw his father after he left Russia or even before that for a while. He lost people in his life. The deep gullas that the Rebbe experienced day after day. Friedrich Rebbe, the same in, in very different way, but even greater challenges in some fashion. Well, I don't want to say greater because it depends whether the gullas of Nidochim Beretz Mitzrayim is deeper than the gullas of Evdim Beretz Asher or the other way around. The gullas of prosperity and apathy can be worse than the, that of, of poverty and uh, oppression. But regardless, they went through difficult. And the attitude has always been a non-poly yamama anan. A non-poly. We are day workers. Our job is to bring light into the world. The Al-Tarebbe already paskin that this is a chesh of this world. The The Chumash says it, right? The second posik. That's how the world began. It was dark. And then, first it was at Simpson. But our job is the light part. Gimel Tammuz, and all that you describe and we're discussing is all part of the darker part. But that's not where we end. That's a means to an end. So with all that, what's lacking in this the conversation here, what are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? Can there be a mashpia rashi? Should we come together a collective accountability? By all means. If you can pull together people, it doesn't have to be everybody. Let it be five people. Let it be three people. But the inaction is definitely not an option. Remember when the, when the Jews were stuck between the rock and hard place of the Egyptians pursuing them and the, and the Red Sea in front of them? They also broke into four different philosophical groups. Some said, surrender, let's uh, resign ourselves and return to Egypt. Some said, commit suicide. Some said, to pray. Some said, let's go to war. And the Hashem says to Moshe, one word, vayiso. That's what Hashem said. Move forward. So to get stuck in a conversation, why this didn't happen, that didn't happen, if, you're in the, if you have power to do something about it, by all means. But at the end of the day, a victim doesn't take responsibility. They say, why doesn't this one do that? Why doesn't everybody do that? Labavitch and Chassidim have their challenges. The key thing is, what are you doing? And if you do what you're doing, it'll be a lot easier to join with another person because active people attract active people. And people who are looking for scapegoats attract people who are looking for scapegoats. And that's pointing fingers and doesn't take us very far. So I understand the feelings, and I'm not dismissing them or invalidating them in any way. But it has to be taken to the next level. And as difficult as it is, 
Yes, you could say when the Rebbe was here, he led the way. I don't have that motivation. You're saying you don't have that So meet someone that does have that motivation. You say you know some people like that. So hook up with them. Learn with them. Say, maybe you have a project for me. Maybe you have an idea. There's no excuse. Even if you can't come up with an idea, find someone that does have an idea. That is the only attitude that I believe is, the, is, is, our, our, is our response to any challenge, and especially the one we're ad- addressing here. The next one is even sharper and even more personal, so I want to, I will, I'll try to uh, uh, cushion it a bit, but the person is essentially writing about their deep disappointment in the Rebbe. As I said, it's hard for me to read and hard for me to even, to definitely read in public, but it is a feeling people have, so I will read part of it at least. Who should I be disappointed in, the Rebbe or Hashem? I've been disappointed in Hashem and I have big faribles with Hashem. Faribles is like a, Complaints in terms of personal problems to bigger problems that are non-personal to the biggest problem of all, which is this exile, this gullus. I found myself a lot of times upset at Hashem, at God. How many times have I wanted his Mashiach? All I have known is that concept since I'm a little child. What, what God who calls himself merciful keeps the people who have by now been more than 2,000 years in exile be that countless of mitzvah sacrifices that I will be honest now surpassed our forefathers or the prayer and tears that we shed. Is Hashem playing some kind of joke? What is this all for? If every tragedy that has happened to us or all the countless of tater, all the countless tater mitzvahs up until now with all your fancy class this or campaign that hasn't budged Hashem up to until now, what will? 28 years since Gimel Thomas and the Rebbe soon reaching the age of Moshe. Well, we've reached that year, 120. This year, Tov Shimpei Beis. And I find myself at this stage upset at the Rebbe and highly disappointed in him and ask myself, does he care? Call me whatever. I just don't care anymore. The Rebbe told us something. It's in his teachings. He told us Mashiach is coming. I never mind coming. He said it's at a point where he is here and all we need to do is greet him. If he didn't say that, then a lot of people have been saying false things or the, or the sikhs are fake, God forbid. Then you have Gimel Tamas. Then the confusing concept that the Rebbe is now higher and can do more than he could because he's beyond his body. I ask him this, how many mitzvah campaigns, how many mitzvahs, how many tears, how many tragedies have happened since then? How many wanting and ad mosais have there been for, for what? 28 years and it's a pink elephant. It looks like a big pipe dream. This is where I define my disappointment dilemma. I finally reached a conclusion that I'm more disappointed in the Rebbe than God. And I'm even willing to give God over the hook, to give God, to get God over the hook for these reasons. True, it's all Hashem, but it's expected of God that he does weird stuff. God can seem many things rational, irrational, super rational. He sure does like doing v'nafachu things which has been seemingly counterintuitive, opposite. One minute this, and then all of a sudden that. And whether you complain directly to him or to his Moshe, as you see in these recent Pashas, like for example, you complain too much to Moshe, you got no Amun in Hashem, then if you decide, well, let's go directly to God, who needs Moshe, you still get in trouble. To where you have the sin of the golden calf that Hashem already knew and decided that they were going to sin before they did, as it would seem in the plain text. This all helped put things in perspective. After all, our Tzadus and Golos, Hashem hasn't really changed much in my mind. Still the same and still no Geula, but I can say we have been 
still waiting for him. And that's why I give Hashem a pass, because looking back at our collective history, to personal history, this is to be expected of Hashem, no point getting all upset, especially, because Hashem could turn us around as usual and say, I am Hashem, this is my way, and now scurry off. But the Rebbe, he was, he was human, and we are human. He shared our pain, and he knew what we were going through. I don't feel I can give the Rebbe a pass, especially after 28 years of him being beyond the body, and after all that, has happened, and still nothing. I feel he has let us down and abandoned us. Not even Moshe was gone more than 40 days at a time. And you say, well, maybe do more, learn more. I say good luck on that, on Er Rosh Hashanah, 5999, Chaz and telling people to do a little more. 28 years, and I'm becoming more disappointed than ever, even more than the Rebbe and then in Hashem. After all the great he did and taught, then to be gone like that for 28 years is a big disappointment, bigger than being disappointed in God. Someone else writes, oh, I don't want to read this next line, it's too disrespectful. Okay, well, this was a little chutzpahdik and sacrilegious and irreverent, and I acknowledge that. And some of you may have complained that I read it, but I've heard this more than one person. And though we don't have to necessarily air every person's grievance, but it's a sentiment. But I think it's based, again, on a very immature approach to the whole thing. It's true. The sent the Rebbe to us, and we are barely able to expect things. The Rebbe told us certain things. But you have to always look at yourself and your responsibilities. The reason I read this, even though it sounds so like chutzpahing against the Rebbe, because it reminds me of a story I remember when I traveled to Australia many years ago. Uh, <clears throat> um, so the shliach there, probably, uh, one of the shluchim there told me that you're going to be meeting, one of the people you're going to be meeting is a very famous and popular journalist who writes in the newspaper here, in the, in the big newspaper in Australia. And he considers himself an atheist, but before you were coming, I gave him a copy of your book, Toward a Meaningful Life. And he came back, and surprisingly, he told me he loves the book. It's on his nightstand. He reads it. So I didn't ask any questions. The book talks about God, but he claims he doesn't believe. So I want you to meet him. So I actually met him Friday morning. I remember there was a breakfast in Sydney. I was one Shabbos in Melbourne, one Shabbos in Sydney. And I meet him. And when we start talking, I realize who he is. But I have to add that this rabbi, the shliach, the Chabad rabbi, said to him, you love this book, but, um, but the book talks about God. You say you don't believe in God. He said, well, if God was more like the Rebbe, I would believe in God. So I decided to throw out this line. When I met him in Sydney, I said to him, how do you know that God is not like the Rebbe? So he said, because the Rebbe would never have allowed the Holocaust. So I said to myself, this is an atheist. This is like the biggest Hasid. So sometimes when we look at a Rebbe, in a way, because a Rebbe is among us, the Jews, for example, with Moshe Rabbeinu, had more tainas to Moshe than they did sometimes to Hashem. So I don't have a problem with someone having a taina and someone expecting more, because they say, you know, the Rebbe would never have allowed the Holocaust. However, what's lacking, I don't hear one line of responsibility here. What about you? What are you doing? You're going to just say, okay, 28 years have passed, you're disappointed. Fine. 
So you're going to, the rest of your life, that's what you're going to be, the disappointed one. And again, I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm trying to motivate. We have to look at ourselves. That's what it comes down to. It's the only way to go. Now, of course, we would have loved Mashiach, came already, and so on. But whatever reason, you, perhaps you can explain, because we didn't do something of our, at our, our own initiative. That's what's lacking in this letter and in many others, in the tone that I hear from people. It's easier to blame someone, whether it's the Rebbe or God or another person. I'm not looking to blame ourselves either, but we have to look at it with irresponsible, with responsible eyes. Okay. So with that, let me move to Kairach. Because Kairach also had a time to Moshe Rabbeinu. They're all holy. So why Why did you and Aaron, you lift yourself up higher than everybody? So let's talk about that. And that, that will lead us back to some other questions that are connected to everything we're talking about now as well. So the question that was asked is, did Karl Marx borrow ideas from Kairach who said, if everyone is equal, why are some people higher than others? Because Marx, I don't know if I, you know, he was Jewish, so you don't say Lahavdil. But Marx basically made that argument to get rid of the social statuses, that we should all be equal. And that's what Kedach seemingly said. Kedach's argument seems valid, so where did Kedach go wrong, and where did Karl Marx go wrong? Well, the answer, let's start with Kedach, and then we'll talk about Marx. The answer is, he went wrong, was yes, everybody is a chelik Everybody has a divine soul. But God also created a structure, a hierarchy. A little newborn child, a child in school, also has a pure divine soul, and who knows how high and great that soul is. We don't know how great that soul is. But no one's going to deny that the student, this, the child, needs a teacher to study with, and a mentor. The mentor is critical here. So the mentor doesn't mean that your teacher necessarily has more divine soul than you. It means... That, that there is also what we call giluyim. Atzilus is higher than Bria, and Bria is higher than Yitzira. And there's Sadikim and there's Bainim and Rishoyim. So while there's an equality to de- eliminate the boundaries between a parent and a child, between a teacher and a student, eliminate that and say, no, everybody's a teacher. Not everybody's a teacher. That was the mistake. So Kedach did reveal an aspect that we're all Holy, that's right. But we need our teachers. We need our role models. Now, I'm not going to compare it to Marx. Kedach was called the Helike Zayde Kedach by the Shpola Zayde and by others because his intentions were, as we know, he saw the world as it would be in the future. He had, even though he sinned, but we're not going to compare that to Marx. But the same idea, Marx's argument that we eliminate private property the Tatus says, no, people can have private property. Besides Levim and Kahanim, people owned, owned land in Eretz Yisrael and owned homes. And people, some were wealthier than others. We redeem that through charity, through tzedakah, but not through enforcing it through, to, through, through an outside force that we see created more abuse of individual power, Marxism did, and communism, than all of capitalism. So is capitalism a perfect system? No. I actually wrote, uh, delivered and wrote a whole series of essays you can find at MeaningfulLife.com where I talk about Kedach's argument and Marx in context of socialism and his state of socialism or state of capitalism and ultimately it's beyond both and has qualities and virtues from each of them. 
So that's regarding that, and regarding the issue of Kedach, Kedach challenged what a Rebbe is. He challenged Moshe Rabbeinu. So how fitting that Mitzvah Shabbos Kedach was Gimel Tamas. It was a challenge, what is a Rebbe? So when the Rebbe is here physically, that's not a question. But now is a question, what's the role of a Rebbe? The role of a Rebbe is to continue being that role model through his teachings. The Rebbe lives on through his teachings, through his directives. So Kedach Steiner is answered. We still need a Rebbe and we still have a Rebbe. So all that is part of our reality. Okay, with that, with that, let's go back to several questions that continue the theme of Gimel Tammuz. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, this past week a note was being shared on social media saying the Rebbe once said that the 23rd of Sivan which was a significant date in Megillah Esther, because King Ahasuerus allowed his scribes on that day to write down everything Mordechai requested into law. So the Rebbe then said, the king is really Hashem. Ahasuerus goes, So it symbolizes godliness in its source and its root in Kedusha. And the 23rd of Sivan then is an Es Ratzin, so an auspicious time where we can write down any physical blessing we need and Hashem will fulfill it. Based on the story in the Megillah. That that day is when God fulfills all requests. In general, I'm very careful to be very specific and detailed when asking for a blessing. If someone is vague in their details when asking for a blessing and then afterwards they don't see the revealed blessing, it can be argued that God did did answer but in a concealed manner. Or if someone generalized in a blessing request and said, may I have a blessing to be successful at a job interview, and 50 interviews occur and each time the person is rejected, but a year later at the 51st interview, they are accepted and given the job. It can be argued that God answered the prayer, but it just takes time sometimes. I was very specific in something I needed to happen to improving my life. I wrote that I need to see this blessing in a revealed manner exactly 11.01 p.m. on Wednesday night. Alas, 11.01 came and passed, and I did not see this blessing in a revealed manner. My question is, if I can't trust the Rebbe's words for something small that would affect only me, how can I trust the Rebbe's words for something much larger that will affect everyone specifically when the Rebbe has said Mashiach will come in our generation. So you can break this question into two. One is, if prayers are not answered, how can we continue to trust God? And another question, if the Rebbe's promise did not get fulfilled, how can we continue to trust that they will be fulfilled in the future? And remember, our Rebbe's brachas is an extension of Hashem's brachas. The Rebbe intercedes on our behalf and is more of a transparent channel. Not God forbid it replaces. It's an extension of God's blessing. So it's essentially the same question. Well, I don't really understand your, I mean, I understand your question and your frustration, but I don't understand the logic of it. You said yourself that doesn't always happen immediately, even when you're specific. Where does it say that if you say 11.01 p.m., God has to answer at 11.01 p.m.? We are not God. You have the full right to ask everything you want, and you should sincerely and demand and expect and everything. But at the end of the day, it's God that's going to answer when he wants to answer and how he wants to answer. And the same thing with the Rebbe. Trust and betochen is not dependent on conditions. It's like someone saying, I love the person, my spouse, on condition they do A, B, C, D. And if they don't, I stop trusting them. That's not true trust. That's not unconditional love and commitment. Unconditional love and commitment means no matter what. Sometimes it works out the way we like. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we learn that it worked out and we didn't realize it. We wanted it on our terms. 
and we had a narrow perspective or a selfish perspective. So as I said again, to start pointing and saying, I can't trust you anymore because I asked for something that didn't happen is not an appropriate approach. You should ask and God should bless you and no question about that. But we don't stop there. We remain adults, not like babies. A baby says, oh, you didn't give me my toy or my candy. I'm no longer going to do what you asked me to do. So with that, let me go to another question in the same context. Is it possible that since we did not have the right mindset to bring Mashiach, we will not merit to see it like the scouts who did not enter the promised land? So let's read this in more specific terms. Dear Rabbi Jacobson, I want to thank you for all your hard work making these great Sunday night Torah podcasts. And more specifically, last Sunday when you discussed the episode of the Maragdim, the scouts, your intuition finally helped me understand what really happened. The way the story was taught to me in yeshiva, the spies gave a bad report which caused many people to be afraid and not want to go into Israel. And as a result, Hashem punished them that they die in the desert and only their children would get to go into Israel. The way that was taught to me in yeshiva, the way that was taught to me in yeshiva, I always accused God of being petty and quick to anger and punishment. That seems to be a common theme here. People's anger and disappointment in God. That's my own just footnote. But your explanation of cause and effect, and specifically the episode of the Miraglim, the scouts, once a group of soldiers, once a group of soldiers express fear and doubt, then, then they are not the right group of people to successfully conquer a land. In other words, they, they are their own worst enemies. They bring it upon themselves. It's not a punishment of God's anger. Therefore, we had to wait until the next generation to enter Israel with a group of people with the right, right mindset and faith that they could succeed. My question now is relating to Mashiach. On one hand, if a large group of people today didn't have the right mindset and faith that we can finish our job and end Golis and, be, and begin Geula, would God have the right to say that he will delay Mashiach's arrival for a future generation that does have the fortitude to get the job done, like it happened in the wilderness? And how would we reconcile that with the teaching that no Jew will be left behind and everyone will have the chance and opportunity to do whatever tshuva is needed in order to be ready to go to Israel, Mashiach comes. Very good question. So let me read another question, and I'll answer them both together. Is Mashiach just a mindset? Recently, I've been hearing more that Mashiach is just a mindset. There will be no miracles. It is our work to live with a Mashiach attitude and spread Hashem's name. But Mashiach won't be something that happens to us from above and in a supernatural way. I think that perhaps people are losing some faith, so this is a more acceptable approach. But it sounds like they're saying, look, we have to be realistic. Just because we are religious people doesn't mean we can believe in hocus pocus. We can't be fools. I personally don't see why people who believe in Har Sinai and Kriyas Yamsuf, in Sinai and the parting of the sea, need to draw the line at Mashiach. Is this approach really consistent with Yiddishkeit? The sources, what we say in Davening, and what our leaders have led us to believe? If this is the approach, it certainly seems deceptive. I'm wondering what your approach is, and specifically if it's changed over the last 30 years. These people say we have to really look at what the Rebbe said, and that he didn't spell it out because he wanted us to figure because he wanted us to figure it out on our own. To figure it out on our own. To me, it sounds like mental gymnastics based on the language used could really use your thoughts. Thanks. 
So the reason I combined the two, because they both talk about Mashiach. Now, let's begin with the first one. It's true that when it came to the Meraglim, they essentially disqualified themselves. They're saying, we can, or we're unable to conquer this land. So Hashem says, okay, fine, you're unable. It's like soldiers, like quoted from me what I said last week, that say, I can't fight this battle. I can't win this battle. So the next generation was ready to do it, okay? Except for Kolob and Yeshua. The difference is today is thousands of years later. Thousands, millions, billions of mitzvahs have been done. This is a snefesh of the highest caliber. Sacrifices, blood, sweat, tears, unbelievable yesudim, afflictions, suffering that we went through. So we're not in the same place. So when a person today says, I can't do it, there's a certain achmonis from above because we have been broken after the Holocaust, before that, the tzadahs that we've gone through. And yet, like I said earlier, we still are expected to be an adult. The Rebbe said, do everything you can. So the, I want to make the distinction so even if a person today says, I, I don't know if I can fight this battle, it's not good to hear, but we can understand it. I'm not suggesting that Maraglim didn't have a point as well, but I wanted to just make that distinction with the generational, generational distinction. But there is a lesson that we could be learning. And that's why I wouldn't say that today, because someone says, I can't, God forbid, the Rebbe's words will only pass on to the next generation. No. As long as we're here, through 28 years, has proven that we didn't deliver. We didn't bring the Geula. People tried. Some people tried more, some less. I look at myself and I say, no. I didn't do what I had to do. That's how I see it. And as a result, yeah, if you don't do what you have to do, the results are going to be clear. You're not going to get what you want to get. But I don't think it's a matter of punishment. It's cause and effect, like the mindset thing. That's why I lead it to the, the second question, which is, is it a mindset? Mashiach and Gula is an objective reality that the Torah promises. However, as the Alter Rebbe says in chapter 37 in Tanya, it is the process, it's, the, it's not just an event that will happen. Out of the blue, Mashiach will come. It's a process. My seinu seinu, our work and our efforts, which reveal alakus in this world, as the Alter Rebbe explains. Every mitzvah, every good deed reveals godliness. That's like a little Mashiach building block. And when they all accumulate, the world changes. And Gula comes. Then there'll be supernatural things that come from above. But from below, from our effort, is those little packages, those little building blocks that we built up, which ultimately accumulates. So in that sense, it is mindset. Why? Because we have to be there. You can't just say, okay, I'll do a mitzvah and God's going to bring Mashiach. We are part of the process of the unfolding drama. On the other hand, there is an element of an event. So in answering the second question that was asked, no, to just say it's a mindset is not enough. But the mindset is critical because you have to be there. Your consciousness, you have to be living Mashiach consciousness, a Gula consciousness, which means a life that is in- integrated, seamless, not defined by your, by your negative experiences, by your childhood, by your traumas, by your pains and suffering. But one that's defined by your soul, by your neshama, by your divine soul. So we have to do everything to make ourselves into the Mashiach mindset. But to say it's only that, no, that is not correct. It's actually kfir. It's, 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 Mashiach will come a human being from the house of David HaMelech and will rebuild the Beis HaMelech Shashlishi. But that happens at the end of the process where the Rebbe tells us we're at that end of that process. 
So that brings these, both, I hopefully addressed both questions um, at least comprehensively to some extent. And the bottom line is that we still have the opportunity. Now, if somebody has passed away in the last 28 years or 30 years, you could say maybe because they didn't do what they had to do. But remember, it's not just one individual's responsibility. We all have to do what we have to do. So there's, there's some similarities that you can learn from the scouts, from the Miraglim, and some things I would distinguish between them. The bottom line is we still have the life God gives us, thank God. So right now we're here. And each of us has to ask ourselves, what am I doing to bring the gula in my life, personally and collectively? Okay. And we were promised that we will do what we have to do. Mashiach will come. Both that which we can do on our efforts and then that which Hashem will do from above. Okay, now I'd like to do a little follow-up. I covered this, I covered this. We spoke about um, secular education. So someone asked the question, why don't some schools in our community teach any English? What's the justification for this? Why are secular studies not taught in yeshiva? Did the Rebbe really want local schools not to teach secular subjects? If yes, why? If not, why don't they teach secular subjects? What does it mean to have an education? And what is the source for it? Are there any other communities that teach Altar HaSakedish and what is the Chabad view on it? Well, that last question answers the other ones. Chinuch is not just data and facts. Chinuch is shaping a soul to prepare it to be able to fulfill the mission that it has to accomplish in this world. When I say prepared, its mission is also while it's uh, going through education. So it's far more than that. What means Altar HaSakedish? means a Chinuch, Altar HaSakedish, that's focused in a sacred and holy way on what God wants of us. The secular school system teaches you how to make a living, teaches you mathematics and teaches you the physical sciences and the social and the political sciences, how to function in this world. It's important, but it's survival-based. It's not based on fulfilling God's mission in this world. So it's not, it's not a competition. It's not like two different subjects and which one are you going to take? One is focusing on why are you here in this world. You're here to bring Torah and Mitzvahs and the light of God into this world. The tool chest, yes, it includes learning perhaps how to ride a bicycle or mathematics and so on. But that's the technicalities. That's the mechanics. The Rebbe was not against the studying those mechanics, but when you put it in its place. Have a tutor for it, but don't make it a priority. Don't make the means into an end. Remember that the education is based on why are you here, what God wants of you. If you start making the hammer and the nail, the things we study in secular science, secular studies, as being the Ica, the primary, and the Judaism, okay, since you're Jewish, go ahead, learn a little Judaism. It's, a, it's not just a, 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 um, a distortion. It's completely turning everything upside down. The mission of your life is the source of that, the whole Torah. You should be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Holiness. Sanctify your life. And that begins from youngest child, from youngest childhood. We sanctify a child's life. Nine months in pregnancy, the mother's intentions matter. 
when the child is born, you surround the child with holy verses, scriptures. Everything possible to give the, the child the power. As the child enters a dark, hostile, selfish world, corrupt world, to have the more resources, more, more resources, the more the better of resources to be able to counter that and bring light and transform the darkness of this world into light. That's a chinuch altar sakedish, based on the Torah mitzvahs, which precedes the world. Then comes something's mechanics. You don't have to learn how to drive a car. To learn how to add, subtract, mathematics or other things. But it's all those already means. It's like learning how to get dressed or to brush your teeth. But you're not going to compare brushing your teeth to the purpose for which you are here. That's the brief answer. And when you understand the context, it changes everything. Unfortunately, even those that advocate and are fighting against any secular don't always put it in that context. They look at it more like a battle with evil. It has to be put into context and explained, and people can understand. Okay, one more follow-up regarding gender. We spoke about gender, transgender. So thanks for reading my question in your last episode of Chassidus Applied. I was the one who wrote this. That was uh, that whole text, women are forced to sit back and watch as uh, men who think they're women dominate in their sports, etc. So I'm not going to read that whole piece because I read it last week. Some theorize it all started because society decided to see men and I'm not going to read that. I read that all last week. I'm sorry. So this person is writing. I understand. I understood that you were not able to fit all that I wrote about in a half-hour segment, but was willing to answer specifics in emails. My background is I'm very interested in gender differences. I'm a woman who also reads up in a lot on male behavior, hoping I can learn a lot so I can understand my husband better and be the best wife ever for him. I also have interest in women's rights. Even for the non-Jewish world, how women are treated under the Taliban makes me sad for them. It is distressing for me to think of how female prisoners are basically caged with someone who's biologically male, who identifies as a female, and they have become pregnant as a result. Yeah, I apologize if that offended anyone. Yes, this happened then in the news. Okay, so I'm just reading as a follow-up to what we spoke about, and the rest, I would say, go back to last week's program where I discussed it more in detail. I did receive many other letters on this topic, thanking me for addressing it and putting it into context, and quite a few people actually called me on said, let's talk privately. So I have been speaking to several individuals. If you want to discuss this privately, please just go to, to chsidisapply.com, submit your question, but add your email address or phone number so we can contact you. Without that, you're anonymous and there's no way for us to reach, reach to you. Okay. But it's a very serious issue. Um, Now, there are many other questions and many other topics that should be discussed. Let me just see if there's anything else I would add now. Yeah, well, we're going to come to the conclusion of this episode. So this has been My Life Chassidus Applied, episode 407. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Please go to chassidusapplied.com where you can find all these episodes archived. You can find the forum where you can submit any question. Nothing is taboo. You can also find all the, all the archived episodes plus other resources. I also give a class, a daily class in Ayin Bayes. 
um, which was actually the basis of what I gave my class Wednesday night. I gave a class on trauma. Is trauma the new scapegoat? It was based on the teaching. So every day I give a class in Iron Bays. You can get the details. It's live Zoom and, and live on YouTube. So just go to chsidahsupply.com uh, for the details. And with that, I bid everybody a very good week, a week where we can look into our hearts and souls. We're chavches sivin, which is literally going in the anniversary of the Rebbe coming to America, the Rebbetson, is dovetailing straight into Gimel Tamas, both teaching us our responsibility and our mission in bringing the light of Torah and chsidahs, especially primis ha-Tayra, moir the luminary in Torah, to every corner of the world. And we have a job to do, to make Siddhis into mainstream conversation. It should be a household name. Siddhis offers us the tools and the divine wisdom and the divine knowledge of how to live our lives in the best possible way. So when we say, that the world will be filled with divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. And we say, in the words of the Rambam, that the business of the world will be nothing but knowing God what means knowing God? When you learn Chassidus, you know about God. You know what God is about and how God interacts with the universe and how we can create a relationship of a fusion of the divine, the transcendent, and the imminent of matter and spirit in a total seamless union, which is called the Gula Mitis Vashlema, where the material existence will be a channel and a uh, seamless one at that for divine and spiritual energy. Everyone have a very good week, and I look forward to see you coming programs and please again chsidasupply.com for any questions comments feedback thoughts suggestions be well and gutabach this program is brought to you by my life chasidis applied please help us continue our programs make even a small contribution at chasidasupply.com slash donate